You see how much better Helen conducts without that splinter in her eye? I feel like I, I need, deserve a little credit for that. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, you have every right to judge us, condemn us, but you don't because you love us. You're full of mercy and patience. All the things we want for ourselves, but often things we don't want for others. Change our hearts, O oh God. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. I was on I-55, and I'll have to admit, I was going above the speed limit. And a car just whizzed right by me. And you know what I was thinking? I sure hope the patrolman pulls them over and gives them a ticket, right? I was at Kroger. You know that line that says 15 items or less? And I saw somebody with 22, I counted, 22 items. And I said, there must be some punishment for that. I don't know, but... It's very inconsiderate. I think we all have some things like that going through our head at times. You kind of have to have some form of judgment. You couldn't function in life. We wouldn't even have a society if we couldn't discern maybe right from wrong and uh, things that are appropriate, things that are inappropriate. But things get more serious than even the speed limit or the Kroger line. When I get saturated with that judgment spirit. When I measure everybody based on my own standards. It's kind of like when I get lost in that judgment I lose my self-awareness. I forget that there but for the grace of God go I. I forget that if life was fair, I wouldn't deserve what I've gotten in life. I forget when I seems like somebody's being lazy or getting something they don't deserve. That I grew up in a, in a family that wasn't rich, but had all the resources they needed. Who paid for me to go to college. Who afforded me every single opportunity. Sometimes I forget that I am in Mississippi among the privileged. That's not bad or evil on my part, but that's exactly what it is. It's what I do with my privilege, right? Do I use my privilege and my good luck to continue to advance myself and put others down? Or do I use it more as a responsibility? Do I use the mercy that God has given me, that God has shown me, and share that with the world? Or do I withhold that and hoard it 
and receive mercy from God and yet unleash judgment in the world. That's a problem of self-awareness. And we're talking about beneath the surface. We'll, we'll have three more Sundays with that, that theme beneath the surface. It's like, the, like an iceberg, right? Like they say that when you see an iceberg on National Geographic or if you're lucky, you know, you went to Alaska or somewhere and saw something floating, that you're only looking at 10% of the iceberg. And I know here every single soul in this room You only see 10% of. You don't see what's going on under the surface, beneath the surface. But beneath the surface calls us as Christians to dig deep among our own icebergs to see what is going on just beneath the surface that may, that may be stunting my spiritual health and keeping me from progressing as a follower of Jesus. It's a Search me, Lord, kind of thing. And so that's why today we're talking about know thyself that you may know God. Teresa of Avila was a 16th century mystic in Spain. She was there at a, um, she was a nun. She wrote and she was just incredible. She said this in the 16th century. Could have been said today, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. So let's go beneath the surface and look at our interior life. First, the really big picture of North American Christianity. George Barna, he's a conservative evangelical questioner. He's a, he's a pollster and, he, and he's done all kinds of of polls, he said in 2016, these were the findings when he asked people who did not consider themselves Christians, what are the first words you think of when you think of a Christian? Do you know what they are? It's not real pretty. The top three answers were judgmental, where the first one was judgmental. The second one was hypocritical. And the third was insensitive to others. Now that is a, that's a damning kind of conclusion about who we are or how people perceive us outside the church. Now, we're in the Bible Belt. We're in the, actually the buckle of the Bible Belt, right? I don't know maybe what Mississippians would say if they, maybe they weren't going to church, you know, and, and why they don't. But it's really kind of scary, especially for a church that historically started and grew by leaps and bounds by what? By responding to a pandemic in the second century. Because you see, families were kicking relatives out. They were, they were sensing that there was a killer disease and they were kicking their blood kin out in the streets. And the only organization that would take them in in the second century was who? The church. And now it's sort of, in this, in this modern times, it feels like it's sort of inverted. Now we're sort of known by how we exclude and who we exclude. And, and the image of Christianity is taking a beating. You know, now I don't necessarily ask somebody if they're a Christian. You know what I ask them? Because that word has gotten so worn down. I want to know not if you're a Christian, but if you're Christ-like. Are you striving to be like Christ. Now that is what a Christian is. 
But I want to tell you, that label has been so, so worn down. Now, some of this criticism seems unfair. I'll just say it. Uh, maybe there's a little unfairness about that. And maybe um, these results show that you can, don't even have to be a part of a church and you can be very judgmental and critical. But we'd be foolish to ignore it. That is, if we're hungry to reach out and to make connections among people who they consider, might consider themselves de-churched or like de-churched, whereas maybe they got burned by the church. Maybe they, got, they saw something terrible happening in church to say, never again, you know. Because Jesus says, these are the people that we are to reach out to. A guy named Pavlovitz wrote this book, and I love the title. His title is, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. You like that one? He says, I'm sickened by this thing claiming to be Christianity. This monstrosity would be unrecognizable to Jesus. Sadly, the American church has in many ways become the greatest argument for someone not becoming a Christian. For rejecting organized religion and never looking back. Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi in the mid-20th century said to a Christian, I love your Christ. It's Christians I don't understand. Why is it? Asked Peter Scazzaro in his uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship that I'm reading through. Why is it that so many Christians make such lousy human beings in life? Scazzaro is the founding pastor of a Pentecostal church in Queens, New York. And he and his wife have devoted 25 years in addressing this troubling and perplexing phenomenon he says that we can no longer ignore in the church the glaring signs of emotional immaturity that are present in so many Christian institutions. And that's where he gets, that's where we get the iceberg metaphor. Like an iceberg, we're made, all of us, of deep layers that exist well beneath our day-to-day -day awareness. Just as we may see about 10% of an iceberg that's about how much we see of other people. But, but there's something deeper that you can't see, that you can sense. There are things in, in Christians and others that I really love and admire. And I don't see it, but I sense it. Have you ever felt that about another person? Just solid as a rock. I want what they've got. They've got that peace. But for us, sometimes we, we sort of play church when we're not, we're not that deep. You know, and, and we... We try to clean up for church so we can play nice and we can look nice. But what about what remains beneath the surface? That, that's the real work of discipleship. And when we ignore our interior selves, our deeper emotions, our internal health, it leads to a thing called shallow Christianity. It's where we just never really advance. We just kind of keep saying and sort of pretending and maybe doing the same things. One Christian describes it this way in uh, Scazzaro's book. She said, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. So Jesus shares this powerful metaphor and uh, about the pole in your eye. 
and about searching for splinters in everybody else's eye. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me get this speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Notice, Jesus isn't saying don't make judgments. He's not even saying sometimes we need to hold each other accountable. But when we do that, church, we do it carefully and lovingly. Most churches, if you can't make best friends with everybody in any church, small or big. But the goal, you see, is, is to make enough good friends in any church, in a small group. So that you know when somebody's holding you accountable or, or pushing you to grow, you know that they love you and that they're doing their own eye-pole work as well. We need that accountability. But Jesus says, prioritize your own growth and work on your own iceberg before you start chipping at other people's ice. Y'all get it? Then it becomes a gift. One of the desert fathers, this monk, he said, you must, the, the monk, he says, must die to his neighbor and never judge him at all in any way whatsoever. If you are occupied with your own faults, you have not time to see those of your neighbor. Again, it's like in our translations, it's kind of unfortunate that it says do not judge Really what Jesus is saying in the Greek, it says, do not condemn. Don't write anybody off. Don't write anybody off. I, um, I don't even know how I got involved, but there is a man on death row who, in Mississippi in Parchment who had a deep, deep learning, learning disability, and he's there on death row. And every now and then, his sister will, will instant message me. Hey, can you go see him? Um, would you pray for my brother? And of course I'll pray for your brother. But there he sits on death row. And just two weeks ago, she sent me a message saying, you will not believe it. But the family of the victim is asking the courts to save my brother's life. Now that is a miracle. No human being can do that. They may not be successful. In fact, they probably will not be. But to find those depths of forgiveness 30 years later is amazing to me. Well, whether it's speeding down the highway and someone's beside you, whether you're counting groceries in the speed line, right? Remember this. If you're dealing with a critical spirit, we, can't contain, we cannot change what we don't acknowledge. So acknowledge it. The goal here is to learn how to pay attention to what is going on inside you beneath the surface. First and foremost, this is how we remove the log from our own eyes. We get down in the roots 
of our tree. This is how we shed the false self to become the new self or the true self, the true self that God is calling us to become. St. Paul says it this way. Put off your old self and put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The vast majority of us, listen to this, go to our graves without knowing who we are, without getting to the bottom of that iceberg. We unconsciously live somebody else's life, or at least someone else's expectations of us. But Jesus says, let's go to the depths. Hey, let's look at our roots. Uh, Let's look at the pole in your eye. That way, that way, that way you may be some help of someone else who's struggling and traveling. But it's no wonder that we in the church can get so judgmental and hypocritical and insensitive to others. We don't know who we truly are. It's like I gotta gotta dig my own well before I can start telling somebody how to dig their well. Knowing ourselves... Here's how, just a couple of action steps. Now we're talking about how to work on our own icebergs here, our own trees. So here's some things to think about um, this week. And you'll hear this almost every Sunday. The first thing to do is slow down and spend time with God. There is no um, substitute for that, right? Find that solitude and silence so that you can really pay attention to who you are. That's step one. And the next step I suggest is this. Experience the full weight of your feelings. Experience the full weight of your feelings. I've been told all my life that emotions are unstable, not good, don't trust them. But the older I get, the realize, the more I realize that we are fundamentally emotional people. Emotions are universal. You're human. You're going to get mad at somebody going 95 that passes you, right? You're going to be sad. You're going to get frustrated, get impatient. Get in touch and feel that. Because your emotions are the language of your soul. Trust God to come to you through your emotions. Why am I so angry, God? Help me, help me through this. What is going on beneath the surface, right? Because transformation always happens beneath the surface. So we dig in. Experience the full weight of your emotions. Number three, surround yourself with trusted companions. This is so important. Pray for and find trusted friends, mentors, so that you can learn about who you are. Somebody told me this one time, and it's really true. It's true to me. Somebody said, Bruce, you've got two-minute friends. You've got two-hour friends. And you've got two-day friends. Learn the difference. Right? Who are your two-day friends? Who are your friends that if you're stuck in Terry, Jen and I were stuck in Terry, or stuck at the Volvo dealership for for reasons I don't even want to share right now to get me all judgy, not on Jen, but on whoever did it to, to our car. But I'll just pull back on that. But you know, there were a few people, there were a few people who we knew we could call, and they would be there. And we called some really good friends. There are a lot of people in this church I know we could call as well. 
But you know, the people who are willing to stop what they're doing and pick us up are the very people that I want feedback from. Hey, you know, you know me, you love me. How can I grow? Even sometimes when they say, Bruce, you just look agitated. What is wrong with you? That's okay. But you see, that takes a lot of nurturing and that takes a lot of relationship building. I mean, it's why we're eating homemade soup and cornbread on Wednesday night. It's so that we can be connected to each other and to God and so that you might at St. Luke's find two or three two-day friends, right? They may not even have to be your best friends. They might be somebody from another generation or they might be somebody going through the same life phase as you. But finding those people you can trust, the people that know you could call at 2 a.m. in the morning, those are the ones that can help you grow and it won't feel so much like they're picking at you. I say align yourself with positive people. If you get around too many, a critical spirit, you know, if you get around somebody that's always dogging everybody, then pretty soon you're going to be doing it too. I know, it's, it'll just suck me right in. They just pull you right in, right, to that negative vortex. Hang out with people who are not quick to judge. Ask them how they do it, because it's not an easy thing. These are actually the people, again, who can hold us accountable in healthy ways. None of us need any more experts. We just need companions. You've got the whole information world at the tip of your fingers. And we know so many facts. But we know so little truth. And sometimes companions can be just like bread for a hungry soul, just for a part soul. And that's my prayer that St. Luke's has got, has got a place for you where you can find somebody that you trust deeply. Lastly, pray for courage. Because becoming your true self is hard and even scary because as you change and grow, there are consequences. People may not like the new you. (laughs) You ever talk to somebody who's a recovered drug addict or a recovering alcoholic? It's like, man, they lose a lot of friends in the process, you know. Boy, Bruce, I used to be the life of the party, you know. And they realize that they were in places and situations where people didn't love them for them. They were just being used. And even if it's not that dramatic for you, changing that has consequences. And not everybody may love what they see. But you only worry about what God sees, right? You're worried about chipping away at the iceberg. That's what you're worried about. So pray that the Holy Spirit strengthen you. Our growth is in Jesus Christ, which takes me back to the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And this is what he said. Ask and it shall be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Just be willing to ask, search, and knock. Be willing to go beneath the surface to know yourself and ourselves so that we can know God and God's love and know that God's love is everything. 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 What more is there? This is a way of life. It's the way that leads to life everlasting. We have one job, and that is to love others as God 
has loved us. And that's the hardest mission you'll ever take on. It's also the most rewarding and the most transformational. Just one job. This is God's will and God's way for us. Because loving other people is so much more fun than counting groceries and praying for highway patrolmen to pull people over. It frees you up from a condemning spirit. And the person that you let out of jail is you. Let us pray. God, we are all, I think I can speak for all of us to say, that we are all guilty at times of a critical spirit. Lord, help us to discern the difference between a critical spirit and just trying to be discerning. God, help St. Luke's. I mean, if that's, the, if that's what people think of the North American church, may St. Luke's always be a wild exception. So that when people come here, they're surprised by the joy and the love that they see. Deliver us, O oh God, from counting groceries. In your name we pray. Amen. Invite us to uh, sing our closing hymn. Uh, invite us to stand and sing. It is hymn.